four weeks ago, I began the series on the four square gospel. Jesus Christ, Savior, Healer, Baptizer in the Holy Spirit, and soon coming King. I began with Jesus, the Savior, and that really is the cornerstone of the gospel. In fact, that is the gospel. But there are so many other things that are tied up with that. The gift of the Holy Spirit, God's power released in our lives, expectation of the second coming. And those four things, Savior, Healer, Baptizer, and Coming King, were the foundation stones of our Elam Pentecostal denomination. It was called the Four Square Gospel, and it was taught with such authority because it was a revelation, a kind of full gospel, if you know what I mean. Good news for the whole personality, spirit, soul, and body. We're going to focus on healing today, which is, which is part of the good news. Every healing that takes place in our bodies is a foretaste of the resurrection which is to come. And so we are thankful that we have that spiritual heritage. George Jeffries, the founder of the Elam Church, which actually, full official name, is the Elam Foursquare Gospel Alliance, went all over Britain, including London, Birmingham, all places, uh, Bournemouth, and characteristically, it would start either in a tent or in the largest building that they could find, and, and usually the first couple of days, not very much happened because... Nobody knew about this. There wasn't the publicity there is these days. No YouTube, no um, uh, Facebook, no Instagram, no, what's the other thing, Twitter. Uh, and, and yet, like in Birmingham, he started in a building and there was hardly anybody there. First night, somebody got healed in a very dramatic way. Next night, the place was packed and ongoing. And here in Kensington Temple, the building was originally noted by George's brother, Stephen Jeffries, and many people say that Stephen, Stephen's miracles in his meetings were even greater than George. I don't know about competition here, but the fact is, this place was the center for healing. It was finally taken over by George Jeffries as the headquarters of his new movement. Number one, belonged to the church in those days as it is, as it does today. He would be there 12 o'clock every day when he was in town, praying for prayer requests all over the world, and testimonies came from all over the place. In 1965, after the death of George Jeffries, when Eldon Corsi reopened the building as an Elam church, had to be cleared out and looked after, and all the rubble taken away from it being in a bit of disarray, and downstairs in the basement area, which isn't the basement that we know today. We've both dug down and raised the floor so that you could, have, you could stand up, but in those days you couldn't stand up rickety pillars holding everything up and in between the pillars and all downstairs they found crutches and wheelchairs and walking sticks and all other aids of, uh, which were left behind after people were healed. It was called the Church of the Great Physician and healing miracles that took place here made front page news in the London newspaper. That would be the equivalent of the evening standard today. And uh, so we have this tremendous heritage of healing. And, and uh, way back in 1987, when I was uh, anticipating my first visit back to Kenya, 
where I was born, and we were seeking God for his power and authority. We met together for prayer and fasting in the church. Susan Hatting led that, and she was here. She actually slept in the church for those seven days and seven nights, and we were praying for the restoration of that healing anointing. And in many ways, we saw it out in the ministry. We saw tremendous things happening. Wonderful to see just the first thing that comes to my mind is to, to see a leper, a leper healed. And leprosy still exists in some places in the world, but to see a leper healed was just absolutely amazing. I felt ever so biblical, felt ever so New Testament. There was a story which is linked to that, which I'll come back to a little later. So here we go. The passage I want you to read with me is Exodus 15, verses 23 to 27. And watch out for the name Elam, because if anybody asks you, where does Elam come from? What is it in the Bible? Here it is. So the people of God have just been rescued out of Egypt, and they are now moving into the wilderness. And verse 23 says, When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah, because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Mara. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and he tested them, saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elim where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. So that's where our forefathers got the name Elam from, a place of refreshing in the wilderness. And a key part of that was not that just Jesus can make any bitter experience sweet, but that Jesus takes care of you. Just as God said, I'll take care of you in the wilderness, so God says to us, he will take care of us. So we trust in his caring, love, loving fatherhood. And of course, here is one of the greatest healing promises of all. God says, I am the Lord, your healer. If we unpack that a little bit, it begins with the divine name, I am. Whenever God says, I am, He's talking about his name, his nature. So this tells us that it is the nature of God to heal. His willingness to heal. He doesn't have to force himself to do it. He is the healing God. He carries that nature with him. And so you spend time in the presence of God and you will be healed in one way or another. You're going to be healed. He's going to mend your broken heart. He's going to put together the broken pieces of your life. And we have a, also a confident expectation that the God who promises that we'll be raised to life everlasting and eternal health, not just eternal life, that that God 
loves to demonstrate his healing power, which points towards that last day, the great day of resurrection. And so we have a confidence that it's the Father's will to heal us. This tells us that sickness does not come from God, meaning it does not originate in his nature. Healing comes from God. Now God allows it. Nothing can happen in the world without God's permission. He may allow sickness for, according to his permissive will, but he never wills it directly. One of the best examples of this is to think of the story of Job. You remember God allowed Satan to inflict illness. And that does, you say, well, that doesn't sound very encouraging, but believe me, it is encouraging because it means that nothing happens to you but by the express permission of God. And he has a reason. His reason always is, and we can trust this, we can really trust this very, very firmly. The reason always is that it will work for your ultimate good. You may not feel like it at the time when you're going through a tough time, but God will not allow anything other than what he can use for your good and for his glory. So sickness does not come from him. He may use it for judgment or chastening, but it doesn't come from his nature. Where did sickness come from? When sin entered the world, a whole lot went wrong and it brought sickness with it. When God created the world, it was beautiful and good, no sickness. No suffering, no pain. And yet, when sin entered the world, that relationship with God and humanity, which was broken, was reflected into a broken world, a fallen world. So we, in this broken, hurting, falling world, which shall not come to an end until God remakes everything at the end, we are in a world which is subject to pain and suffering. And we as Christians are not exempt from that. In my book, which I wrote, first of all, a number of years ago, and then updated the stories in it and updated also and developed, developed my own understanding, I make sure that I establish here a firm conviction that God is with us in our suffering. Spiritual growth never means absence of suffering. In fact, at times, during the deepest pains, we learn more about God, okay? So there is a, an understanding that in this broken world, we are, we are going to go through some tough times, and maybe sickness is part of it. Death, which is the ultimate sickness, really, is going, is going to come to us all unless Jesus arrives before we die, in which case we'll get rid of the body anyway and have a new one. So it comes from sin. Now, when we come to Jesus, we find the healing nature of God personified. Uh, maybe that's even the wrong word. Incarnated in the person of Jesus. It's not surprising that Jesus' ministry was so much about healing. As we shall see, healing was not central. Healing always points away from itself to something else. But it was a central part of his day-to-day -day ministry. We read about 20 strong, specific stories of healing in the Gospels, of specific healings. You may say, well, that's not a lot. Actually, it is, because those 20 are just samples of many, 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 many more healings. Uh, John writes in his 
gospel. There's so many more things that Jesus did which we can't talk about. If we were to write it all down, the libraries of the world couldn't contain them, so they're selected, highly selected. But then we have a number, about 12 very clear statements of Jesus' general ministry of healing. For example, he went about all Galilee healing those who are sick and oppressed and that kind of thing. So it was very central to Jesus' ministry. And one thing about this, when we see Jesus, really look at this, we see him ministering with confidence, not with diffidence, not with doubt, always with confidence in the Father's willingness to heal. Now, when you read the Gospels, you find this. You can look at the data. Never did Jesus come to, when somebody came to Jesus and say, I want to be healed. Never did he say, no, go away, not interested. He always healed those who came to him. He had confidence that the Father was willing. So when a leper came to him and said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Yes, I'm willing. He didn't say, excuse me, I must have a Trinitarian conference. Sorry, your name's not on the list. Didn't happen. He ministered in the Father's willingness to heal, the knowledge of the Father's willingness to heal. Now what I've just said to you, sketched it out with a few scriptures, came home to me in a way that I could never, never forget. And despite great personal challenges, public meetings, public arenas, seen amazing healings. But in my own personal life and family, great, great tests have come. But I've never been able to doubt from that time to this what I saw on the mountains in the Rift Valley region in central Kenya. We had been down in the valley, or at least down on the plain, in a place called Nakuru. It's where my father was born. We held an open-air meeting on the Sunday night, and a remarkable healing took place. It was one of the first miracles that I'd ever personally witnessed close up. A girl, deaf, about 12, year, 12 years of age, deaf all, her, deaf all her life, was healed, and she began to hear and she began to speak. I'd heard that she'd been brought into the town from upcountry to attend the deaf school on the Monday morning. This was Sunday night. She never went to the deaf school. And I thought, wow, I got it, baby. I got it now. I am the man of power for the hour. You name it, I'll claim it. You feel it, I'll heal it. I got my credentials. So I went up in that spirit of, I suppose, naivety and pride up into the mountains and the very next healing service was in a cattle field. We pitched to put up our speakers and, and they brought a boy, a young boy, I, I'm not a doctor, I would say he had polio in his life, his leg was, was withered in exactly that way, and so I thought, get out of the way, I work for Jesus, here I come. I prayed, nothing happened, I prayed again, nothing happened, I prayed until we thought something had happened, but nothing had really happened, and it just went on like that. So I thought, what is this business? What is this? On the one hand, deaf ears open when you pray. Another time you can yell and shout, the kind of shout that should raise the dead and nothing happens. So I got a bit confused. And I don't really know that even to this day I have an answer for that. But I do know what happened next. We were there in a mud hut and, and uh, we, we, we slept in, uh, in the mud hut. There were 
chickens resting. I had a very friendly chicken resting on, on me. Didn't lay any eggs all night. And there I was, and we were really, en I was really enjoying being back in Africa. No hotels for us. There weren't any hotels there anyway. I went, shut myself away, and I, I kind of blurted it out in a kind of frustrated, angry way. Have you ever been frustrated with God? Have you ever been angry with God? Well, some suggest, thank you for your honesty. Just for a moment ago, I thought I was the only person. I thought I was the only sinner here today. And I said to God, why did you not heal him? Now, I'm going to, I'm going to reply, go on this testimony, and it's going to sound like I heard in dictation from God. Really, honestly, it was as real to me as that. I never heard an audible voice, but these words were very clear. God replied very quickly, I have purposes for that boy just as I have purposes for you. And when God said you, it was almost his finger penetrated the depth of my being. And I realized no more discussion. You. What, is, what about me? God, help me. I want to see I want to know you're a healing God. What is this all about? So I turned to the New Testament. And then the Holy Spirit gave me a Bible study. I've written, it, written about all in the book. I'm not trying to sell the book. Well, I am, but because I want you to be blessed. <laughs> not making any money from it. Five pounds who could never get any uh, commission or royalty on any of my books anyway. Right. But this full, full story is there. Holy Spirit took me on a tour of the Gospels. It was as if I was in Israel 2,000 years ago. It was as if, and I'm not exaggerating, it was as real to me as if I had been there to see Jesus raise the dead, to see Jesus open blind eyes. It was so real. Has it ever happened to you? You're reading the Bible and something leaps out and it becomes so real and fresh that you could almost touch it. And, and after a while, it just seemed every page I turned, there was another healing. The Holy Spirit was directing it. And then I realized that I saw Jesus' confidence in the Father's willingness to heal. And when I saw that, Oh, well, I, I won't carry on with the story. It'll be the rest. I'll tell you another time. But there were tremendous healings. In fact, we stayed up all night. Every single person we prayed for was healed except one person the whole of the night. They were coming in from the farms. And then three years later, they told us that we, they took clothing from that, those meetings, people who were in clothing, and put them on people who were sick, people who were de demonically oppressed, and, and, and deaf and dumb people were being healed because of the clothing that was in those meetings. So like the New Testament, the closest thing to revival I've ever seen in my life at that time, at that season. So, all of that is real to me and I think it is biblical. How do we explain what comes next? If Jesus was willing, the Father is willing, and he is able, how come? Not everybody gets healed, either immediately. Everybody will be healed in the end. How come? We can say, well, sometimes it's not God's timing. God has purposes. But when we go through the Gospels, we, we find that on occasions, Jesus healed all who were sick. 
In one village we went to, everybody was healed. That was the condition the chief gave us for, before we were allowed to preach. You're a man of God, heal the sick, and then you can preach. I didn't, I didn't say to him, well, the Bible says signs and wonders shall follow the preaching. I've got to preach first. I said, you know, this is a dangerous situation. I said, okay. Everybody was healed, as far as we can tell. And sometimes Jesus healed all. Other times we read him healing many. Sometimes we read him healing some. Sometimes only one. And sometimes none. Do you remember the man at the beautiful gate, the lame man? He was there. For many years, Jesus would have passed him, going into the temple. Jesus never healed him. I think he was smiling to himself and saying, you wait, I'm saving you for Peter. <laughs> All right? So what, what is it that, of course, there's no doubt about it, that Jesus could have healed everybody in the whole nation. Sometimes people mockingly say, you think you've got healing power? Let's go to the hospital and empty it of all the sick people. I tried that once, but to the hospital emptied itself of me. <laughs> Not the other way around. But even Jesus, when he went into an equivalent situation of a hospital, you remember the pool of Bethesda, John chapter 5, remember that? There was a pool, and, and the pool was supposed to have some kind of connection with the healing of God. An angel would stir up the waters, and the first person into the water was healed. Well, there was a paralyzed man who had been there for 40 years, or however long it was, and he said, nobody was there to help me. I couldn't make it. Imagine being paralyzed and not being able to do the thing that would bring your healing. And there on that day, on that occasion, Jesus healed one person. One person. Why? It was the time. The time was right. And that passage later on explains, explains this in detail. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. John 5, 19, verse 20. John chapter 5, verses 19 and 20 says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will you, he will show him so that you may marvel. Now, this does not mean that Jesus was subordinate to God. In fact, the very fact that he was calling God his Father in the way he was, was making himself equal with God, and that's why they were going to stone him for blasphemy. But of course, he is equal to God, but you see, he is God the Son. And what are the very essence of sonship is submission. So there is a an order within the Trinity. God the Father is the initiator, the originator. The Son surrenders to the Father's will and the Holy Spirit brings it into operation. So here as God, Jesus could have healed of his own accord. He could have taken the initiative on himself, but he didn't. He always surrendered to and submitted to the Father's will. Meaning, he only did what he saw the Father doing. 
to put in our language today, this means that we are always to be led by the Spirit. If we don't determine what's going to happen, we have the healing promises, we have confidence in God, but we must depend on the leading of the Holy Spirit. God does not give power for what He's not doing. That double negative is a positive. He gives power for what He is doing. And you need to discern that as you cooperate with the Holy Spirit. A story illustrates this for me many years ago when we were beginning the foundations of what we now call our IBIOL. We had a group of people in a Joshua program. It was a discipleship training program of people. And, and we had a number of students, five, six, seven, something like that. And uh, uh, we went to a conference and not enough to fit in one car. We came back in two cars. So we said, listen, when we get back to London, meet at my house, we'll have a cup of tea, we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll, our time will be over. Well, the second car was very, very late, and we were waiting and waiting, getting a bit concerned, and we had a telephone call. The driver of the second car was approaching London and had hit an elderly pedestrian down in the road, and the injuries were serious, and the, the ambulance was there, and please pray. So we got down to pray. So my students followed my teaching. Before they started praying, they began to discern what's happening. What is God saying to them? And as they began to pray along with me, we saw death. And so one of the students stopped and said, I see death. So I said, yes, so do I. So he said, there was no point praying. Death, that's it, finished. And he wouldn't pray anymore. Kept talking death. I said, just be quiet. Ask God, and I said, God, what authority are you giving us in this situation? And the Holy Spirit replied, I'm giving you authority to rebuke death. Amen. Wow. So that's what we did. Cut a long story short, the man was taken to hospital in a critical condition. He did not die, but had a remarkable recovery. Let's give Jesus praise. So it's so important to know that uh, this is not a blanket promise that everybody on every situation, every occasion immediately will be, will be, will be healed. And also, you know, God does what he wants to do. He's sovereign. Tell you one story. Oh, you got me in a storytelling mood. I want to get back here because we're going to get down to pray. Now listen, uh, in one, one place, uh, we, we went to, to, to pray for the sick and uh, it was terrible. The car broke down. Everything happened wrong and we felt sick by the end of the time we got there and we got there late and apparently there were some remarkable healings which we never saw but we were told about and the next night when we got there early, hours early, the place was full. Now this is Africa. Nobody ever is early in Africa, all right? You know that even for a wedding, okay? We've had to send people out to McDonald's sometimes, twice before the bride arrives. But, but we were early, and they were earlier than us. Why? They'd seen miracles. We didn't know about that. And so we began to pray, and it was extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. I'll give you one example. We didn't have enough translators, so we put the person on the platform. I speak a bit of Swahili, but they were Kikuyu speakers. And a person on the platform took testimonies, and a man came to us and went, 
like this, pointed into his mouth, his teeth. So a couple of us prayed, oh dear Lord Jesus, this man doesn't obviously have a dentist. Help him with his teeth, amen. He was so excited, went on the platform, the testimony was, he was deaf and dumb. Or mute is a better way of putting it. I didn't know, I prayed for teeth. Well, God threw the whole thing in. It's extraordinary, you can never pin down the Holy Spirit. That's why at all times, you have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And by the way, if you say, no, 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 I disagree with this. The Word of God says, by your stripes we have been healed. Never mind that that's talking about salvation and not healing. Uh, then, then you know you are, you are teaching unbelief. Because if somebody is not healed, it's because of unbelief or sin. Notice that when the people say that, it's always the other person's unbelief. Not the healing evangelist. You haven't been healed because your unbelief. What about your unbelief? It's not about that, friends. You can never demand from God because, after all, healing miracles, even the healing miracles of Jesus, were signs. It's not the substance. It's a sign pointing away from itself to something greater. In other words, Healing is not the completion. Healing is a sign to that which shall be completed when the body will be fully redeemed at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, where the worst sickness of all, death itself, will be abolished. No more pain, no more suffering, and every healing points to that. So today, Victoria's victory in healing. Did you notice that this was a testimony concerning good, in the final analysis, good medical intervention, and thank God for doctors, as much as part of the grace of God as anything else, and the doctors were involved, but it seems that there was a surprising answer to prayer, maybe not a miracle, but a remarkable answer to prayer, a healing, and the prognosis was completely ripped up by the Holy Spirit. One year, six months, one year, no way. She's out of here in six weeks. Holy Spirit's involved. So, you know, that story is, a, is hope for everybody because it's pointing us all to the day when there'll be no more sickness, no more crying, no more dying. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. Uh, so, it's important, you know, uh, uh, way back in, in, in early days with our students, we would go to Reinhard Bonke crusade meetings in Africa. Once we went to Rwanda in a place called Kigali, and we saw, uh, we were part of the crusade, we were praying, and, and Reinhard Bonke preached the gospel, called for thousands come forward for, for salvation, and then he'd pray for the sick. The opening night of that crusade, we saw a very special miracle. It was really, really wonderful. A man had come forward with a hole in the top of his foot, wearing sandals, hole in the top of his foot, like an ulcer in his foot. And after prayer, the skin had closed. The external skin had not grown back. It was pink, but the whole thing was just beautifully sealed and healed right before our eyes. Wonderful miracle, we were so excited. Next day we caught a little taxi, this is an African taxi. You know when 
the, the, you know, the, the driver talks a lot I, and when, when, when the vehicle kind of works, you know, that, that kind of thing. And we were talking to the taxi driver. We were at the crusade last night. Yep. What did you think? Oh, not good. What do you mean not good? Not enough miracles. <laughs> How many miracles do you have to have before you believe Jesus is alive? If Jesus does one miracle, that's proof enough that he's alive. Yes? So the idea that, um, uh, you know, you've got to have everybody healed and hundreds and thousands of miracles before, before Jesus demonstrates that he's alive. No, no, no. That one miracle, one miracle is enough not only to say that Jesus is alive, that he is everything that he claims to be. He is Messiah. He is the one who brings the kingdom he is the one who has dealt with sin, which is the root of sickness. Therefore, he deals with fruit, which is the sickness. Everything about that pointing to the resurrection day. One of the big things that healing miracles demonstrate is Jesus' authority to forgive sin. Do you remember Mark's gospel? As they, they brought a man, let him down through the roof. He was paralyzed and Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. They said, how dare you? Who do you think you are to forgive sins? Only God can do that. He knew what they were thinking and he said, you judge for yourself. Is it easier to say, son, your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, to the man, rise up and walk. So in Jesus' mind, there's a connection between the fruit of sin, which is sickness, and the root of sickness, which is Sin. He dealt with the root. So it's a sign pointing to his authority to forgive sins. Mind you, don't ever think that if somebody is sick, it is due to their personal sin. You go way, way, way back to original sin and, and the whole of fallen humanity. The root cause way, way back is sin. But you don't say to somebody, oh, yeah, 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 you got a migraine. You've been a bad boy. What have you been watching on television? No, 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 no. Remember, there's not a ever, or not usually anyway, a one-to-one -one correspondence. But there's the root of it all. So healing points to these things, points to Jesus as Messiah, points to the presence of the kingdom, points to the loving, compassionate heart of God, points to Jesus' authority to forgive sins, points to the cross where Jesus paid the price of sin, which is the root, and therefore everything, including healing, that is good, that flows into our lives, comes as a result of the cross. Praise God. Revelation 21. This is what we look forward to. Verses 4 to 5. This is what every healing points to. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither there shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. He was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. So if you know somebody, a loved one, who died of an illness as a believer, don't ask God, why, haven't, why didn't you heal them? They are healed. Now, in the presence of God. And every healing that takes place 
poised to that certainty of the resurrection life. Singing and musicians come on as I come to my conclusion. So we've seen that God is a healing God. We've seen that healing is available. The Bible is full of healing promises. I think I've got virtually every healing promise that I could find in the Bible into this book. Pick it up and you will see. Everywhere, wonderful healing promises. We find that Jesus is the healer. George Jeffries and all the rest of them got it right. Jesus Christ, your healer. I am your healer, Jesus says. Which means we must be open to this and, and, and bring it in to our faith's expectation. Not in a demanding way, but in an open way. So today as we come to pray for one another and ask God to touch our bodies, we begin by asking God. That's where it begins. Ask and you shall receive. You don't have because you haven't asked. Ask and you shall receive. And ask in a spirit of openness, expectancy, not demandingness, not with a spirit of entitlement, but ask with the spirit of childlike openness and expectancy. Then, of course, it is to respond. This is so, so important. We have to help you understand how important it is to respond. And a lot of people think, okay, I'm coming forward. They, they, they come forward like I did at my first confirmation in the Anglican church when the bishop laid his dead hands on my dead head. He was a dead bishop. And I thank God there are spirit-filled bishops when things happen. Empty hands, empty head. Didn't, nothing happened. But it's about responding from your heart. Not in a legalistic way. If I don't confess it, God won't bless it. No, no, no. Open your heart and respond and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Spirit of expectancy. Sometimes things happen when we're least expecting it. That's true. But sometimes it's better to understand in a spirit of expectancy that God wants to do something. And then in responding to the leading of the Spirit, you simply put your hands in His hands, put your life in His hands, and in simple trust, trusting Him for the outcome whatever the outcome is, especially if you are convinced that your prime desire is for God to be glorified and you leave the rest with Him. And in that way, in that way, you are most, most open to God for Him to do what He wants to do. Let's stand in His presence right now.